Richard Zwicker, The Green Peak. And joining us this week, we have Eric Alstadter, who is the audit partner and chairman of the cannabis practice at Eisner Amper, a uh, large uh, accounting firm which specializes in audits, uh, tax, and advisory. Welcome, Eric. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me, Richard. So, Eric, um, you know, you were on the show a year ago, and at that time, we were looking forward to a lot of the changes that were coming to New York, New Jersey, and quite honestly, the whole New England area. Now, a lot of those changes are underway. And um, <clears throat> how are you finding businesses are needing to prepare in unexpected manners for what's happening? Well, certain things have changed, but certain things haven't changed. While New York has moved ahead and legalized adult recreational use cannabis, and New Jersey is actually selling adult use recreational cannabis now, other states have not quite gotten to that point. Uh, you still have the issue with, with companies getting banks and banking. That creates an issue. So uh, banks are not as eager to be involved in cannabis companies as we had hoped they would be. The Safe Banking Act, which is the Secure and Fair Banking Act, has been out there for a few years now. and It's been a while. It's one of those mythical unicorns we're still waiting on happening, isn't it? Yeah, that and the Moore, the Moore Act also. They're both out there. Yep. They're both mythical creatures. Well, the Moore Act would kind of take cannabis off Schedule 1. The Safe Banking Act, while not a panacea for, for banks, would open up a little bit of the industry and allow uh, more banks to get involved than are currently involved. And, and for cannabis companies, that would be a huge benefit. It, it would mean that they could actually hopefully start opening up a checking account, pay people with, with checking accounts. And, and some of them do that now. There are accounts and certain banks which will allow that. There are mostly yep. state chartered banks and uh uh, credit so how, actually, how are the state chartered banks in New York and New Jersey handling it differently than in other states? Well, the, the state chartered banks are allowed. They, mm-hmm. they, they're more comfortable participating in the industry. And are they keeping up with the way the banks in California are doing it otherwise? Uh, I believe they are. But still, one thing that escapes all the banks is the use of credit cards. That's another right. piece of the industry that, that is still not quite there. And a lot of these, these, these dispensaries have put in these little kiosks like ATMs so you can go in, yep. and you can use your, your card to pull out cash, and you're still paying the product in cash. So right. while things have changed and, and are moving in the right direction, not quite there yet. You still have, from a federal, federal level, you still have the legality of, of cannabis mm-hmm. from a federal level, which creates a huge tax burden to many of these companies. Uh, it's 280E. It does. Which, which is still out there. And while states like New York have decoupled from 280E, uh, other states have not. And uh, 280E decoupling happened in, in Governor Hochul's budget, where she said, well, it, it's, it's now deductible for, for New York state purposes. But right. it hasn't quite gotten where it should be. And how do you mean it hasn't got where it should be in New York? Well, other, not just New York, other states, mm-hmm. it, it, in my view, if the state legalizes it, why shouldn't it be deductible expense? So yep. other states like New Jersey, who have talked about decoupling from 280, haven't quite gotten there. Mm-hmm. And other states who have, have legalized adult use recreational cannabis have not quite decoupled. California and New York are the two that spring to mind. Uh, other states should. 
Oh, they should. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a business and it's creating employment, so it should be treated as such. Um, but, you know, we can all, we can all pound the sand for all the uh, certain people care with regards yep. to uh, operating in that way. Is there a layer in the industry that you find is more problematic from, you know, from your perspective and your firm's perspective in terms of addressing a lot of these issues? I mean, retail has its own issues with regards to, you mentioned credit cards and the way it's handled, but then producers have different issues. The middleware, middleware and the uh, infrastructure and the ancillary services have different issues. Is there one area that is easier from your perspective, or are they all equally challenging, just different? Uh, I think they're. I think you said it. I think you hit the nail right on the head. I think they're all equally challenge, challenging, but a little different. Right. To, to me, taxes, and, and not just because I'm an accountant, but taxes, really is front and center. The the tax burden placed on these companies. Is, is very significant for a for a cultivator. You could end up with an effective tax rate of 50 to 60% and a, and, a, and a dispensary could be 60 to 70% of an effective tax rate, which is just absolutely huge compared to other businesses. Right. And, and for companies, you know, we see a lot of uh, companies and especially some early stage companies. And invariably, when I look at projections of these early stage companies, they don't include a lot of the costs that you'd expect to see for 280E, the tax burden is not as 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 prominent as it should be, or as robust as it should be. Mm-hmm. You see some other expenses that probably are undershot as far as what we think it's going to cost them to operate the business. It, it does, and so what are some you know what are some things that the entrepreneur who's getting going, or the people who are you know going to be expanding into New York, New Jersey? and the like need to plan for from that perspective and their budgeting that usually gets overlooked and you catch at the end of the year when you're doing the audit or doing your year-end accounting and say, whoa, this could have been planned out better. Well, I, I, I usually see things like uh, the cost of security. A security <laughs> system is usually not really put in with as much as it probably is going to cost. Uh, things such as... as, as um, Utilities. You don't see enough in the way of utilities on the on the side of, of these budgetings or these budgets that companies prepare, and and taxes. Taxes. From utilities, def- you mean people understanding how much it's going to cost to yeah. grow the plant? Okay. You grow the plant, and 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 all utilities involved, whether it be electricity, whether it be lighting, whether it be power, whether it be uh, water, all the utilities that go into it. I think, and I right. think. I think these companies are getting better equipped. I think there's more information out there now. So if companies do their research and really take a look, and, 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 I, and I try to tell everybody also, not every company is the same. And, and just because right. you see some metrics out there, that doesn't mean those are the same metrics that are going to apply to you. And mm-hmm. we often see cases where uh, a grow facility, cultivating facility, May use the may may have a rate or they come up with a rate, but they're not considering the square footage involved. And, and sometimes the square the square footage, a lot of these costs are based almost on square footage. The more land you have and the more square footage you have to cultivate, it's going to right. be a much larger cost. And I'm sure there's you know some people who are set up in better you know counties and cities than others from that perspective as well. Yeah, yeah, I think as. There, there are counties out there, and as this industry has developed, it, you, right now you're still almost recreating the wheel every time a company comes to, to bear because everything is so new. 
And um, I think as the industry matures, more information is available, more information is out there, and it allows people to make a better projection of what their costs are going to be and have a better plan for business. Yeah. And, you know, that that's so critical in terms of a business's success, because we all know, you know, in this industry, there's a huge demand for the product at the, at the retail end. But if you haven't factored in all of your cost property in the planning stage, you're going to get caught short. And it may be all right today when the market is growing so rapidly, demand so high, and you know the product value is so high in the market. But quickly, that's going to change. And you know, are there how are people that you're dealing with planning for that change? That you know, prices are going to come down, but costs aren't. Costs are going up. Costs are going up. Yeah, I think what they're. I think what clients are looking to do is to expand and look mm-hmm. for other other lines of business, whether it be beverages. I know that beverages are a big business in the future, mm-hmm. and some very large companies are betting very high high on on on, on THC infused beverages, and other products related as opposed to just a normal cannabis type of product, but using it in gummies, whether it's candies, whether it's used in, in any other type of product or edibles. Right. No, it's, uh, that market shift is happening everywhere. Um, but let's come back to it after we have to take a short break. We'll be back with Eric Altstadter from uh, Eisner Amper. I'm Richard Zwicky on The Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on the Green Peak with Eric Allstadter from Eisner Emptor. And um, Eric, one of the things that, you know, has been coming up recent, well, not recently, but more and more in discussions is people's awareness of the um, cross-state traffic. And, you know, New York's an expensive state in which jurisdiction in which to grow in. Oklahoma, which isn't that far away, is a very inexpensive jurisdiction. And, you know, anecdotally, a lot of people talk about how much uh, Oklahoma exports. Of course, as that product enters the marketplace in New York and New Jersey and elsewhere, it's not just going into the black market, it's going into the regulated marketplace. How are firms going to account for that? Because that's a that creates a huge violation of federal uh, laws. And yet, businesses are always looking for the lowest cost uh, product to put on their shelves. It's interesting. And you're, you hit the nail right on the head. As long as cannabis is still on Schedule One of the Controlled Substances Act, the, there is a lack of interstate commerce. And even New York or New Jersey, you really are not allowed to take the product from one state to the other. Now, the reality is that just crossing a bridge or a tunnel is very easy. We're taking a road through another state. It's very easy to pick a product and bring it back. And... Um, yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times I drove down to Florida. And as soon as you cross certain state borders, you see the sign for fireworks. Fireworks sold here. Yep. State, state, <laughs> states can be very different. But until, until it gets off Schedule 1, it is still subject to the rules of the DEA and the Controlled Substances Act. So that's a problem. Uh, you do see things going into the illicit market, but the illicit market also has its other issues and, and concerns and, and mm-hmm. 
buying something on the illicit market. You don't know where it is, where you got it from, what's included in it, what the content of that product is, mm-hmm. and buying it from a rep. Or I shouldn't say reputable. Let me let me rephrase that. But buying it from a registered <laughs> yep. uh, registered grower and and company gives you a little level of comfort that it's gone through a certain. Uh, certain procedures and, and checks and balances, and there's a level of comfort in the product you purchase. There, there is, but you know, even I'm drilling. I'm wondering a little bit, you know, deeper. You mentioned like edibles, and there, there, the market for product other than flour is is growing, and you know that's a harder product to track on many levels in terms of the inputs because it's being it can be created in one state, manufactured in another, and then it's from that point forward is considered to be registered and compliant, even though the cross-border input wasn't. But the firm that's producing, you know, I'll just use Oklahoma and as a continued one, producing there has to account for, with the state government, where did their product go? They sold, you know, 10,000 kilos. Where did it all go? That has to be accounted for. And the firm in New York has to account for where its inputs came from because obviously the state authorities want to be charging tax, but immediately in that circumstance, they, where it is shipped out of state, they have a federal issue as well. Now, how do they report on the state level from a taxation for taxation purposes? And of course we know that the feds are not reported. Well, what's the state obligation at that point? These companies are still subject to 280E, so mm-hmm. most of those expenses that they incur are not deductible other than the cost of product. Right. So the cost of product for a dispensary is the only real deductible expense a dispensary can incur or deduct mm-hmm. for tax purposes at the state level in most states. Now, again, I, we talk about decoupling, but it, it's, it, it is an issue because you really are not supposed to take these things cross state. You really got to be manufactured, produced, and consumed within those states. So those that are doing it are, are running a huge risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like in, for example, in New York, for example, when New York went and decriminalized cannabis, many people mm-hmm. thought decriminalized and legalized was the same thing. Well, it's not. Right. So, so all of a sudden, you saw these little stores, these little places pop up selling cannabis. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't legal because those were, they, they were not licensed by the state. They, were, they, were, they, they thought decriminalized meant license, and that wasn't true. And those companies, if they haven't, they should have expected a cease and desist letter from various state authorities. And I know they're focusing on that and looking at that also. You know, for the cannabis companies that are in your area that are looking to, you know, the the future and the public markets and the like, and, you know, of course, the ones that are listing up in Canada have to go through that. Who do they turn to? Like, a well, firm like yours is phenomenal for that. The, the market is changing. The market mm-hmm. is changing. And the SEC recently had a couple of, of flower-touching companies effective on the SEC through the SEC. Right. So the, the market is starting to change a little bit. And uh, it, it's, it's it, the systems work for these companies. And, and, and I think you also mentioned that the compliance work, making mm-hmm. sure the systems are in place to track the product when it comes in the door, when it goes out the door, is probably the most important thing for these companies. The rest it's of the rest important. Of, right. The rest of the information is important, but 
especially now where, where the industry is, I think having the appropriate systems and tracking product is just vital for a company mm-hmm. to survive. Otherwise, they're going to run afoul of the authorities, which is not a good thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Eric, we do have to take one more break, but we'll be back in just a minute on the Green Peak with Eric Altstadter from Eisner Emperor. I'm Richard Zwicky. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on the Green Peak with Eric Alstadter from Eisner Amper. And Eric, you know, one of the things that um, we were looking at and talking about in general um, is as you get down into the, you know, the cities and the municipalities and the different districts, right across the country, there's different rules from district to district, how product will be handled, sold, transported, you name it. How is New York proceeding on that path? Is there going to be more of a general guideline that everybody follows, or is it really going to be a bit of a hodgepodge? New York is kind of drilled down to the municipality and the individual municipality, and given the individual municipality the right to, to I guess, vote or ban the sale of cannabis within that particular municipality. And I think what we've seen is a fair number of municipalities, at least on the onset, have opted out. Right. Uh, if they opt out, they do have the ability to opt back in. I think if they originally opt back, if they originally opted in, they have a, a period of time before they can opt out. But I think, I think many municipalities are taking a wait and see approach and see how other municipalities have handled this. Is is having sales within that municipality the the problem that it anticipated or anticipates happening? Happening. Now the important thing is while they can ban. The sale of municipality, I'm sorry, ban the sale of product within the municipality, they can't ban the use of it within the municipality. So if I walk through a municipality that that I can't open a store on Main Street, doesn't mean that the municipality can then stop me from utilizing the product uh, as long as I meet the the standards of the law. So uh, I think what you'll see, my, 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 my guess would be, some municipalities will opt out or a number have opted out. They'll see that uh, having a dispensary or a cultivator within that region did not turn out to be the, the problem it anticipated. They'll also mm-hmm. see all the taxes that they could have gotten going to other. That's a other, big one for every, every organization uh, sure, missing out on the taxes, right? To other municipalities. And they'll say, well, mm-hmm. maybe we should do that because especially going, having gone through a couple of years of COVID and having some issues Tax dollars are hard to find, and having stores that are opening up, I think, open up a lot of opportunity. You do have a quite, a, and I, I know it's not the, quite the same thing, but you have a number of liquor stores and, and, and mm-hmm. stores that sell alcohol, uh, uh, not on every corner, but certainly a lot of them that have popped up and continue to, to pop up. Well, and, and you know, liquor sales drop as can, as uh, dispensaries open up because of the the shift in the the usage, and if one municipality doesn't offer cannabis, but their liquor stores start dropping and their tax dollars are taking a double whammy, they're going to be badly hit. Yeah, I, I think I think you, you, you're right on. And, and, I, and I think that's a, a key area that ca- cannabis, well, well, there's not a, there's, there's almost a direct correlation between increased cannabis sales and decreased alcohol usage. So, mm-hmm. so as people are, are, getting using cannabis they're using less alcohol and alcohol-based products so mm-hmm. um i i think uh 
I think uh, other stores will pop up. And as I said, I think other municipalities or municipalities will say, hey, we, we, having, a, having a dispensary at this location would not have caused a major issue. And, and we'll now look to accept it. And in New York, because of that, with the municipalities that are there, how many of them look for a, uh, you know, for the submission of a statement um, outlining the expected revenue gains to the municipality for the dispensary or operation moving in as part of their licensing process and permitting process, actually, sorry. Right, right. Well, everybody wants to understand what the sale is going to be because part of the sales and the licenses is based on how big a property you have or how much you expect to sell. That, that is also part of the licensing process. And it's important to understand based, and it's important to base based on square footage of a store or square footage of a field. That'll tell you a little bit of, of, a, of an idea of how much product you're going to be able to generate and produce and what the sales volume would be. And each municipality. And I, and I, does, sorry, and I assume like a, a firm like yours and you, you individually are somebody who's consulted a lot with regards to preparing those based on the understanding of what's happening elsewhere, because you can't just build that in a vacuum. No, no, you have to understand. We work very closely with the company and its council to prepare those license applications. And um, it, it's, it, it's, it's something you, you want to get right on day one. You don't want to have it wrong. You don't want to get it wrong and, and you don't want to have to go back and forth. You want it to be true, honest, and right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh what are the people who are trying to immigrate? If they make a single mistake on their application, they get a lifetime ban. Mm. You know, yep. that's brutal. In other countries, like in Canada, it's five years. It's still awful if you just happen to make a silly mistake. Mm-hmm. And with a license application right now, you can reapply. But at some point, the governments are going to look at it and go, we need to keep the licenses limited. Here's a way to do it. Yeah, I, I think you think that's right. And, and, Right now, the, the various states, New York obviously being one and New Jersey, they're issuing limited numbers of licenses. So mm-hmm. those licenses, there's a number of licenses they'll, they'll issue and, and a, a variety of types, but you, one would expect those numbers to keep increasing and continue yeah. to go up. No, absolutely. So Eric, um, people who are you know, working in the industry, uh, looking at expanding into New York or you know, just even building from the scratch in New York, they're going to need to con- uh, contact a firm like yours. In your case, how do they contact you and learn more about uh, Eisner Amper and um, you know the services offered? They can reach us at www.eisneramper.com. And I, my email address is eric.allstatter, and I'll spell that. It's A-L-T-S-T-A-D-T-E-R at eisneramper.com. And our website is is got a lot of information, and particularly particularly on cannabis. We do mm-hmm. post a number of blogs and articles related to the industry, not daily, but certainly a couple of times a week. And I actually also host a a very short monthly podcast on the mm-hmm. topic as well, about ten or fifteen minutes in, in length, not, right. and not as popular as yours, obviously. It's very small. Very small podcast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's, um, and, and one thing we did also have recently, we had a webcast with uh, myself, one of my partners, and an attorney. We talked about the current landscape of the cannabis industry, and that was a webcast right. we held. Yeah, those are all very beneficial and useful. So, Eric, thanks for joining us this week on the Green Peak. We look forward to having you on uh, again in the future. And I'd like to thank everybody for listening. We'll be back again next week. I'm Richard Zwicky signing off.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.